Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, Flash. Each episode, I bring on a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work. And today's episode, I'm super delighted to have Carla Paris, who's an entertainment sports lawyer and the host of the B- Business of Carnival web and TV series. Uh, she has a fascinating story and is doing some phenomenal work, and it's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Carla. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Um, as you know, podcast starts out with the same question. Um, every single time is the first question. And I'm very curious to see what your answer is going to be. So, Carla, what was your first job? My first job was working in the corporate communications and marketing department of a power production company in Trinidad and Tobago. And what did you learn? How was that? Uh, It was really cool. Um, So when I was at that job, I mean, I was literally, I think maybe just 18 and I was home from law school for the summer and I wanted to do something different. And I, yeah, I just decided, you know, why not see if I can get a role in, in corporate comms. And I think, I mean, it was so long ago to remember all the different roles, but I know it had to do with, with brand activation, a marketing strategy. <laughs> and it's really interesting when you kind of look back at your life and you realize that life gives you clues. Because although I never went into that field of um, communications or marketing, I found myself in my role as the producer of a web and TV series, having to understand marketing um, really organically and use some of the tools, perhaps not that I learned back then in terms of digital media, but just marketing in general, you know? Uh, So I kind of realized that it was always something that I had a passion for um, when I look back at, you know, my life. That's why I always ask this question as the first one, because it always, almost everyone has the same reaction. Like, oh, well, you know, now that I think about it, the job that I mentioned definitely helped play a part or shape what I ended up doing in my current life. So it, it makes perfect sense. So I, I totally get it. So you go from that job to now being so incredibly multifaceted. So what was that career journey like? Oh gosh, I don't think you have enough time. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll t- I'll take the two-minute version. How about that? So, okay, so in the 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 two-minute version is that I've literally had to create this these rules. Uh, when I graduated from law school, there were no entertainment lawyers in Trinidad and Tobago. No, you know, it just was not a field that at all was was really known. I, in order to even start and work with my own practice, I actually took a couple of years off of law. And that's what I find is really interesting. And what I say to, you know, kind of kids coming out of university all the time, if you're not sure, it's okay to go in a totally different direction. Like you don't have to do one thing for the rest of your life. So mm-hmm. I basically, like once I got called to the bar, in Trinidad, I moved away to London for two years on what was called then a working holiday visa. <laughs> and for two years, worked in all kinds of random jobs. I mean, I was a hospital administrator. I worked in a marketing agency. I did all kinds of things. But for the last year, I ended up working in a magazine 
as a magazine editor for a cultural uh, production. And when I came back from that, to make a long story short, I kind of combined my practical experience working in media. I worked in Trinidad's television station for about a year, one of our television stations as an entertainment news reporter. And that's when I met so many people in the creative industry who I realized were really badly in need of legal representation and trying to understand how to commercialize everything that they did, but essentially gave away for free. So that's how I combined everything and became an entertainment and sports lawyer. And so what's that like? Because obviously you're obviously based in Trinidad, so it's a different set of circumstances than it's here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it's very different because, you know, New York, L.A., Atlanta, those are very established markets in terms of entertainment industry. Here, I've had to do a lot of work over the past 10 years. Incidentally, this month is my 10-year anniversary of having my practice. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I actually only realized that a couple days ago on LinkedIn. (laughs) I saw that when I was looking back at my bio, that it was July is when I started this whole, uh, you know, journey of having my practice. But I've spent a lot of time educating the market as to why they even needed me. Because what I realized is if I just started my, my practice and expected clients to show up, I probably would have had to change fields really quickly because nobody even knew what it meant. So I spent a lot of time on social media back then, 10 years ago, it was really just Facebook, kind of talking about what the business aspect of the industry meant. And I started this hashtag, the business of Uh, And I would talk about the business of film, the business of music, the business of whatever it is, really sports, and why there's that connectivity between what you're doing uh, as a hobby for the most part, but why it should be commercialized or can be and how intellectual property can help you. And that's that's really been, uh, you know, kind of what the difference was in that when I've gone to American Bar Association conferences in New York, and met other entertainment lawyers, they didn't have to do a lot of that education path because people already knew, you know, what what the role of an entertainment lawyer was and, and what it was about. But their journey was more about, okay, what kind of clients should I land and what area? Whereas for me, it was that education. And then once that, you know, got a little bit clearer to the market, uh, it was about realizing that I had to do a bit of everything, music, film, fashion, and not niching down uh, as many entertainment lawyers do globally and focusing on one area, I basically do a bit of, of all the creative aspects. Awesome. Um, so, you know, being that you're an entertainment lawyer um, and the basic entertainment world was driven to a halt last year, what were some of the lessons learned? Uh, lessons learned for me or for the industry? For the industry that you've, that you've seen. Well, I think some of the biggest lessons were that a lot of the performers, as in soca artists, uh, you know, people in really any genre really had to understand now the question of creating auxiliary streams of income, secondary streams, because many of our artists in the music sphere focus largely on live performances, especially as it pertains to carnival, because of course, Trinidad, you know, and Tobago, mm-hmm. it's the home of Carnival. So what tended to happen was that once Carnival finished and they had a hit song, 
they would use that one song as their main source of income for the rest of the year, traveling oh. to every single carnival in the calendar, which is a lot, you know, as opposed to thinking about, okay, how can I land global endorsement deals? You know, what, are, what, what songs am I going to put in movies and films and, and earn money in licensing and different streams of revenue, mechanical licensing, that the focus wasn't really there. But now that the industry basically got shut down and has been for a greater part of a year and a half, we still don't have bars and nightclubs open. We still don't have live performance spaces open. Uh, it really was a shock to many that this done, it's really time to level up. That's interesting. So I'd love for you to look back up a little bit because a lot of folks who are probably listening have heard about Carnival, but don't know anything about it. Um, so if you could spend one minute or so kind of just giving the overview of what Carnival is and why it's so awesome. And one day I will wear feathers. Uh, you heard me, you, you, you heard me here. Um, Arlene from my team is probably going to be just fall on the floor when she hears this, but I kind of think that one day I, I, I could do the road and maybe wear some feathers. Uh, but for the larger audience, like, tell us what it all is. Okay. So carnival and yes you will be there one day laura let's speak it into existence next year you will be on the road with us for two days in your beautiful feathers so really what it is it's a it's a cultural festival which has come from it, it dates back as far as slavery what it really meant is an expression of music of festivity of culture it was really a, a, a mechanism for persons in those days to self-express, you know, to get out into these streets and have a parade and so on. And now for us, it's it's basically morphed into a whole season. We call it a carnival season, which starts usually in, in and around December, where we have festivals in steel pan, which is our national instrument. Uh, we have traditional elements of it, which celebrate um, other various aspects of our culture. And it culminates in two days on the road. Uh, it's called Carnival Monday and Tuesday, where people come out and you parade on the streets in your carnival costumes. There are hundreds of different uh, carnival bands that you can take part in. There are soca music competitions. So basically it literally is a season of festivity where the culture comes alive. And it's really a huge uh, aspect of our culture, which we've exported to the world because there are Trini-style carnivals in nearly every Caribbean country and also Caribbean diaspora like New York, Miami, and so forth. Even in Europe, you can find Trinidad and Tobago-style carnivals. Awesome. And there are feathers. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of feathers and um, some incredible outfits that are just absolutely stunning. Like I said, uh, my second here in command at DF uh, goes every year and her Instagram is just insane. And I'm like, that's crazy. But having now lived through COVID, I'm like, you know what? Yellow. So, um, so I, I definitely think it's something that at some point in the future, let's not get too ahead of ourselves to 2022 there, Carla. Maybe 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'd have to lose a lot of weight. Uh, so just no, say. Come as you are. Come as you are. Yeah, I know that. You know that, but still. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, so for many folks, I don't think folks realize that like, you know, once you're at, you, you kind of kick off a trend on carnival, you can go all, you can go to all the carnivals and, and playing that music. So how have artists responded when you've been like, listen, here's how you actually expand your brand past just being, um, copying from carnival to carnival. Well, the thing about it is that's a good segue into explaining why I even started this show, the business of carnival. Uh, it was for exactly that reason, because I found that not just artists, but a whole cadre of creative persons who are involved in carnival. And that's from the performers, photographers, event producers, carnival costume designers, were just these fabulously creative persons and companies, but a lot of them weren't kind of understanding how to leverage the intellectual property of what we were creating, of what, you know, of of, of what the products that are being exported to the wider world. So I started the show in 2018 to to talk to the persons at the top of their game. So uh, Soka Celebrity, uh, you know, designer, celebrity, and so on, and kind of talk them through what are your processes? How are you earning for that reason? So that we would not be in a position where we feel and we believe that our culture is being explo- exploited, but the royalties, the earnings, and so forth aren't really coming back to us. So to answer your question, in terms of how do the musicians respond? Well, I think for the first time, a lot of them fully grasped what I had been saying to them for years, either through the show, the mechanism of the of the YouTube series and the television series, or what I had said to them in private practice. Because a lot of the time, the general mentality tended to be, well, we're busy traveling, you know, and they're earning quite a bit of money, huh? because after Trinidad, there's Jamaica Carnival, then there's Barbados, then Seleucia, Grenada, and it's just numerous. They felt as though when you look to the value proposition for them, the effort or the effort of the manager to sit down and negotiate these other deals, auxiliary streams wasn't there. Now they truly understood. And many of them, it shifted their mindset completely in terms of wanting to put emphasis on on these new, on, on the streams that were there all the time, but really took a lot more effort to, to um, generate. Awesome. And, you know, and speaking of that, how we actually got connected was because you had a viral thread a few weeks ago um, talking just about this and relating that to a certain celebrity um, who didn't understand the importance of the Caribbean culture. So I'd love for you to share what happened with that. Yeah, so that, a couple of weeks ago, we there was this, a global story where the Michael B. Jordan and members of his team applied for register to register as a trademark a word called Juve. And let me just clarify because based on the form that is publicly available on the United States Patent and Trademark Office website, he did not apply for the trademark himself, uh, but the lawyer. A lawyer would have filed it on behalf of one of his, you know, company owners or whatnot. Uh, but it caused a lot of furor in the Caribbean and the Caribbean diaspora because the name Juve that they applied for has huge cultural significance 
not just the Trinidad, but again, the diaspora. And it relates to carnival and a very important aspect of carnival for us. So I was interviewed by Essence Magazine in terms of what was my view on that? What does the trademark application mean? How can it affect us as Caribbean people moving forward? And basically, what I was saying is that it shed light on the need for Caribbean countries to really pay attention to intellectual property ownership, whether it be in the form of trademarks, whether it be in the form of getting together to understand specific cultural names that we can apply for you know, on a country level or even on a wider level. Um, you know, through CARICOM or the OECS, so that the cultural festivals and cultural assets that we produce uh, belong to us and remain with us. Even though we are, of course, we, we want people to come and participate. We want to enter into all kinds of different deals. We just want to make sure that the names and the significance, you know, aren't, aren't unnecessarily diluted. It's, it's, it's so, so important and so necessary. That's the thing that's, you know, folks have to realize, own your stuff um, and get it as many places as humanly possible where you own it so that this does not happen. Um, but, but then, you know, when there are cultural you know, screw ups, like then respond accordingly. And, you know, those guys didn't really do the best uh, of that. Well, I mean, they eventually, and I shouldn't even say eventually, I would say in a short period of time, you know, there was a release on his Instagram page saying that, look, you know, they kind of understand now the significance of the name, they're in the process of rebranding and so forth. So I think the period of time between the funeral and the response was a short time frame. But I think what could have been done was a bit more research in terms of, well, what does this mean? You know, what could the possible implications be in terms of, you know, deciding to use a name such as such as, as this one for a rum product? But at the end of the day, I think that the lessons were, were definitely learned. Uh, I'm pretty sure that his team and any team of any other, you know, globally based celebrity would, would look at a scenario like this a bit differently. The opportunity is still there you know should he choose or anyone else choose to want to collaborate with a Trinidadian based uh you know carnival organization or cultural organization but the point is that these deals I think would need to be negotiated um really clearly and properly and so forth so that we make sure that the culture and commerce are not mutually exclusive yeah, that's the thing. It's like stop being mostly exclusive. Uh, so, and the cool thing about it is that you have a TV show and a web series that talks more about this. So, I'd love for you to share like what prompted you to create the TV show web slash web series, and what's the response been? So I, I started the web series really as a hobby, and that was the really interesting thing about it. I, I launched it in January two thousand and eighteen on my YouTube channel. Uh, which is my name, and um, really just as an outlet, a creative outlet, to, to explain just as what I've been talking about here, that Carnival has so many different facets to it. You know, the events, the fashion, the music, so many different things, photography, videography, and as Caribbean people, we need to do a better job of understanding the value of what we create. So I started filming it in my aunt's living room, literally. <laughs> 
literally uh you know i got together a small crew there was no budget whatsoever so i you know i paid them out of pocket to, to produce this youtube series launched it and i was shocked at the interest because the thing about it is that laura like where sometimes when you have an idea that is not already out there the interest from corporate sector from commercial entities from brands this isn't there because there's not an obvious return on investment so i had pitched the idea to a television station a local television station and they weren't interested they said well nobody's really going to care about carnival and business so you know we have carnival shows all the time talking about the festivity and the fashion and the beauty and i tried to explain to them that yeah but i'm trying to talk about the legal and the business aspect of it to kind of help our, our cultures and our economies to thrive and nobody got it so that's how i ended up just doing it on my own with, with no budget started this thing and with that one season that i had produced february 2018 with four four guests uh, there was huge interest, huge. So much so that I was able to produce an edition later that year in Barbados's carnival, which is called Crop Over. And again, I had no budget, but the Bajan producer at the time was so interested in being on board that she said, look, I'd love to be a part of this. I will, you know, film and edit for you at a great discount, which she did. And that's kind of how I went along. Until eventually, uh, by the second season in 2019, after I had done Trinidad's edition, I actually got approached by a Trinidadian based in LA who was working for, has, has various, um, has a license, I believe it's Paul Mitchell, Paul Mitchell franchise. She saw it and she said, look, what can I do to support? And from then it's grown. You know, it just kind of took a life of its own. I launched auxiliary Facebook, Instagram pages that support the show. It was picked up in a film festival in 2019 as well. It eventually became picked up by our one of our top airlines in the Caribbean, Caribbean Airlines. It was shown on flight. And awesome. then this year, it was picked up by television, our local, one of our local TV stations in Trinidad called TTT uh, TV, Trinidad and Tobago Television. So the journey has just been something, Laura, that I could never have imagined. Like, I did not sit down with a business plan, you know, when I first started this and sort of draft out and say, okay, I want to be on TV and I want to be on a airline and I want to have all these different things. It literally was just brought out of a passion for education and getting tired of saying the same thing to every client that came to me individually and not feeling as though I was getting any results in terms of the larger sector and the larger Caribbean, because as one person, there's only so much I was able to do in terms of who was able to come. And then the other thing is because entertainment law is still so niche and still largely misunderstood, a lot of people believe that they can't afford um, legal advice and sometimes aren't encouraged to seek legal advice in this field. So I, I figured, okay, well, as much as there's that barrier for so many people, let's see what I can do, you know, with a, with a show, not really knowing that this is the journey that it would have, have taken. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's been exciting. It's, it's continued to evolve. In fact, right now, as we speak, I'm negotiating a deal with many of these seasons for a U.S.-based streaming platform. 
but I won't, I can't yet go into the details because we haven't finalized the contract, but I'll update you on that. And I'm really pleased to know that, you know, uh, even globally based platforms are now interested in, in hearing Caribbean voices. Well, the more they hear them, the better. That's what's necessary, right? At this particular moment. I think one yeah. of the things that we realized with the past year is that we are global. So, you know, we can get to talk to folks in Trinidad. We're a Zoom call away. And um and you know, and you know, do live, you know, do live music together, do, you know, create deals. Like all of this is now available to us in a way that it never has been before. And even as we begin to um reopen, we've got to keep those elements going so that we can um learn from each other and you know do business and make money together. Absolutely, absolutely. You're so right. I've seen such an increase in interest in Caribbean-based artists, filmmakers, uh, you name it, ever since the pandemic and people were sort of forced, you know, um, to go online and look at what's happening in the rest of the world and, and see different events on. It's definitely been an increase that I've experienced personally and in my practice from uh, agencies kind of reaching out and wanting to know, well, who are the Caribbean influencers and where can I find more soca music or where can I find <laughs> reggae? And and it, it's been great because, I mean, that's how we all grow through just kind of Definitely. knowing how the world works, you know, outside of your specific country, you know, and doing business and deals with each other that, that have a more diverse world. And it's necessary um you just have to like there's no going back to like our closed societies ever again like we once we've now seen this this is where we have to go and keep and keep going to and and keep expanding for so you know with all the success you've had over the years talk to me about time when you had a challenge you're like there's no way I'm getting through this and then you did so many challenges I mean (laughs) yeah I mean gosh I would say probably the biggest challenge I think would have been figuring out how to continue the business of carnival series and how to keep it growing and how to keep it alive um, season after season on my own, you know, without the help of a a network or global player being involved. So how did I overcome that? So I would, I think that if I had to pick one season, because now there are four, I would say early in the day. So maybe it might have been in a season two, let's say. I sat down and had, and realized very quickly that in order to earn, or, or rather be able to earn some money so that I could pay the service providers, the film crew director, and earn some money for the company, I would have to figure out how to make the show attractive to brand partners and to sponsors but either through product placement or otherwise on social media. And I realized that in 2019, although for me, social media was so obvious in terms of marketing, a lot of traditionally based companies didn't really get it. They thought Instagram was for kids. And I remember I had sat down and literally slaved to create a brand proposal because I have no training in that whatsoever. I did not know what to do. I got a couple of templates from friends and marketing agencies 
and I kind of tried to put together a proposal of why this show would be beneficial to you as a company. I gave data, I gave analytics, everything. And I thought this was such a wild-in proposal. And I remember going to the company, sitting, having to do a whole PowerPoint, and eventually the feedback that the person gave to me was that Instagram is for kids, because I told him that one of the biggest audiences for some of these shorts associated with the show, the teasers, was on Instagram. And he said, Instagram is for kids. This is essentially that, you know, this was a waste of his time. And I was so demotivated and devastated because so much effort had gone into it. And we were just a, a month before the carnival season. So I didn't have a lot of time and there was no budget. And how I overcame it was kind of quickly realizing at that point that I needed to not just throw the proposals out to any company, but a company where the benefits would be easier for them to see rather than me thinking that, oh, this is so obvious, you know? Uh, so I got home, I sat down, I called a couple of friends, we re-strategized, and literally just before the time frame where um, I had had to give up because, you know, as you would know in, in production, there's a pre-production period, then there's production and so on. Just before I had given myself the cutoff point that this is not worth it, I'm not going to be able to do this in time, I actually got a response from the tourism agency of Trinidad and Tobago, uh, which is a government agency saying, you know what, this looks really great. We'd love to be affiliated. How can we come on board? And this was about a day before, uh, you know, and that, that was a huge learning for me that, you know, sometimes the answers are just there, just in front of you. But you stress yourself trying to go after, you know, these corporate agencies and these top agencies and these names that you think would be so beneficial. But the answer is not there. The answer is in an, is, is, is in an opportunity that that has an easier and better fit. And um, for whom, you know, it, it just makes more natural sense. Awesome. And you found your way. You just, that's what you have to do. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about all the work that you've done, you know, and, and the way you've been able to navigate all these different seasons of your life, what do you think you'd tell 25-year-old Carla? I would tell 25-year-old Carla to relax. That's <laughs> what I would say. I would say to relax a bit more, to know that everything works itself out. It literally does. Everything works itself out. Even if it does not work out in the way that you had envisioned, it's for the best. Because sometimes out of the biggest failures, or what I consider to have been failures in my life, those were the biggest blessings. And this is not just professionally. I am talking about even personally. You know, personal relationships that you figure out, oh my gosh, I'm just so sad this breakup happened. And then you kind of realize as you look back on it, this would have never worked. You know, it just never would have worked out. And a professional relationship or might have been a job that, you know, it just didn't work out. Thank God, because it propelled me into going in a direction that really made more sense. So I would say to my 25-year-old self, yeah, relax. It's fine. Um, it just it just does. It's it's okay. You know, go with the flow a bit more. Allow the flow. 
Now that's great. That's wonderful advice. Just allow allow the flood to come through. You'll get through it. <laughs> so there's so much going on. You're incredibly busy. You're doing so many different things. What do you do for your self-care? Well, you just mentioned it actually, yoga. That's exactly what I do. So it's so funny that you said, you know, kind of yoga it out because I um I've gotten very heavily into yoga and meditation in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And that is what kind of keeps me balanced and I would say keeps me sane because it's just so much to figure out constantly on a daily basis. And without that balance, I definitely think that I would not kind of have the strength to keep going. You know, um, I have a daily meditation practice, which I, you know, use to kind of help me figure out, you know, what are the things that matter for the day? What are the things that not? Because I used to have a habit of writing a list. And by the time I was finished that list, I'd be so exhausted to even start the day because the list would be so long. But now I know, you know what, it's just three. What are your three top things? And I have that that system allows me to um, kind of really zone in. And interestingly enough, during the pandemic last year, during the, the height of the lockdowns, I discovered nature. And I never would have seen myself as a nature seeker, a hiker, and so on. But it, there was nothing to do. Like I was accustomed to being out at night late, going to lots of music events, going to festivals. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing to do but go out and hike and go for walks. And that gave me a real sense of peace that I did not have before. And now I look forward to it on an evening. You know, I try to as much as possible, at least three times a week, just go for a walk. And that that's very, very censoring. I was just going to say that, like, similarly to you, I've never been hiking my entire life until last year <laughs> when I went to a spa. And one of the activities was going to hike. And I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm going to do one. And I got to tell you, it was so refreshing to like actually, because I'm a beach person, like love, I love, I love sitting at the beach, but there was something very relaxing about just enjoying the hike. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm right there with you, like you know, getting back to nature, breathing the air, or being amongst the trees. There's, it's, it's super calming and gives you a grounding that you absolutely need. That's exactly the thing. That word, that grounding. That, that's it. Because I, you know. Definitely was finding myself on a path where I was so much, you know, you could just be all over the place with with so much to do and so many plans. And you just, you need that grounding. That's exactly the word. And I I did not feel intuitively that the gym would have been the best environment for me because again, that it just felt like it was work, you know, I didn't want right. to work after I spent a day at work. I didn't want to go and be forced to, to lift you know, whatever, you know, three dumbbells or jump up in an aerobics class. So I just wanted to kind of just do what I wanted to do to just unwind. And that's what the nature and the walks allow, you know, just kind of going at your own pace. And yeah, you dress however you want to dress. You just head out and that's it. And it's really, it's really healing. It really is. It's it, you know, getting like I would never. I, I now I know my friends hike because I was like, this is some hokiness. What are you talking about? But <laughs> yeah, it is super refreshing, and yeah, there, it does center in a way that you don't you, you you don't think about often. So I I 
I, I totally agree with you on that one. And now last question, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? Uh, I would say my, my ask would be that if you're interested in collaborating with or learning more about Caribbean influencers to definitely reach out to me. So you are a talent agency, you're a marketing agency, you're launching new campaigns. That yeah, let's 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 have a call. Let's work together to, to create more diverse faces and accents uh, in campaigns. That that would be my ask. You can reach out to me. And my give would be for you to learn more about how to navigate the Caribbean entertainment industry and the carnival industry to hop on to YouTube. My YouTube channel is my name, Carla Paris. And you can see all these seasons of these show. They're there for free. It's an educational show. And you will be able to definitely understand more about the rules as they apply to the, the Caribbean in filming and marketing and, and a whole host of different areas in the entertainment industry. Fantastic. This works. Um, you know, Carla, you are just such an incredible force of nature. And I'm so, so glad we were able to be connected because like, you know, all the things and you're right and you're, and you're in the middle of it all. And I think so many people can learn from me, especially my fellow Caribbean brothers and sisters who need to talk to you because it's like, own your stuff. <laughs> Trademark that, please. Uh, so um, we'll put all the details in the show notes for folks to get in contact with you and, wa and, and, and watch your show on your YouTube channel and, so, and, and follow you on the social medias and so much more. But thank you so, so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. It's great to talk to people who are also doing really interesting and, and great things overseas. I just like connecting with people and I really appreciate it and enjoy this conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that is our show.